If it's not load shedding, it's government's cozy relationship with Russia causing the rand to tumble or a cholera crisis because politicians are so busy playing musical chairs that nobody is looking after critical infrastructure. If you are feeling a bit skeptical about the state of the country, welcome to the club. But there seems to be a glimmer of hope on the horizon following a high-level meeting last week between the president, members of his cabinet and prominent business leaders and captains of industry. And they have now agreed to set up work streams targeting the implementation of reforms in energy, transport and logistics and tackling crime and corruption. I'm Ilse Salzwedel. This is Outta Insights, and my guest today is Outta CEO Wayne Duvenage. Good afternoon, Wayne. Welcome, and thank you for making time to speak to me. It's always nice to be with you and chatting about very important uh, matters, uh, Ilse. What do you make of this meeting? Um, some of us uh, may be very skeptical about this. We might feel like we've seen this circus before. We've had COVID, COVID help. Lots of money poured into um, fighting COVID and uh, lots of money stolen. Let's be frank, because we saw the PPE corruption, we saw digital vibes, and we saw even bigger uh, poverty and greater gaps in South Africa after that. So what's your thought? Will this make a difference? Well, Ilse, it's not the first time, you know, and uh, my mind goes back to, um, gee, I think it was, uh, in, the, in the late 90s, uh, just after our new democracy um, or into the, uh, the start of the new century, where Maya Khan from SA Breweries was uh, seconded to the police, I think, uh, to, to help them with systems and processes to improve policing. Well, it's just gone south since then. And so business leadership intervention in um, helping and fixing government processes is not new to us. And this has been done on more occasions than just that one that, that that I was talking about. So now here we have another intervention. One can see some positivity in it. I mean, you've got to look for the positivity in any development of this nature. It would be a sin if government said, look, businessmen, stop interfering with government, stay out of it. So so it wasn't that. It was a case of, well, come and let's talk and, and, and can you help us? But as you say, we've been there through the uh, the COVID crisis uh, and umpteen times before. What is going to be different this time around? And do we believe that it is going to get to the bottom of, of, of some of the issues? Now, you can see the work streams that they're tackling, which are business-related. You know, it's energy, and that also impacts on civil society. It's transport and logistics, a big concern and an issue for the economy. Crime and corruption impacting on the economy. Uh, but... What's missing here are so many other areas that give rise to a country's failing economy, which they're not getting down to. For instance, let's just talk about the dire, dire situation of bringing more and more people supposedly into the workforce, the youth, uh, that are unemployable, more and more unemployable. Business will tell you themselves that they cannot employ a matriculant uh, like they used to 20 years ago. They just are so far off the mark. The universities are telling uh, the schools and the education system, basic education, that the kids are coming out of school not ready to go to university. They have to do bridging courses. And as we've heard recently, grade fours can't even read with meaning. And we spend more per capita on our uh, education per head than 
most countries in, in Africa, I think all of them, and we, you know, we, we produce the worst outcomes in education. So there's something that is so manifestly undermining our economy, the future, and yet this isn't top of the agenda. Top of the agenda. It should be an issue. The whole CETA issue is, is another matter linked to education. So the list goes on. Those are serious indicators that we're actually missing the point uh, in, in, in these discussions. But let's get to the bottom of those issues. I mean, they're not rocket science issues. Energy, we can see if they deal with the plan, it'll be sorted. Transport and logistics, if they just allow private enterprise to participate in, in the use of rail, it's already there. It's not a new policy. It exists. Rovos Rail have been riding on the rail railway tracks of government for years. And government has really agreed in this policy. It's just about implementation. Crime and corruption I'll get to. But just in those areas, I think it's not about just government and business sitting down. I think it's about business saying to government, we need radical transformation in processes and systems. Radical. And your government, and these are the hard discussions, your government is not capable I mean, just take the SAMRAD, the, the cadastral system in mining. It's been trashed. Government struggles to manage these systems. So if we're going to introduce new interventions, if I was business sitting there, I'd be saying, not just introduce it and walk away. And I've written about this before. We will help you introduce change that will make government so efficient. We're working on a project with BUSA on NRCS, the inefficiencies NRCS being the regulatory process for compliance and certification for goods to come into and be sold in the country. There's so much wrong with it. So the problem is that we can't just try and introduce new systems and leave them with government to look after. What business should be talking with government about is introducing these radical changes to processes, the modernization of our economy, of telecommunications, and the use of systems in government. And then putting in place structures that says to government, and by the way, we're not just walking away. When we come in here to fix this, and that can go on and on, the road accident front is another one. If you gave that to the insurance industry, to just set up a task team and sort it out, it'll be sorted out tomorrow. But the point I want to make, Ilza, is if business intervenes and helps introduce efficiencies and gets the buy-in of government, and remember, you're going to be also watch. Somebody's got to watch business because sometimes they do it for their interests and not 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 necessarily be the best interests of society. But once those things are in place, they need to be looked after by joint committees that are set up with big business and and, and civil society participating in it to make sure that the systems don't collapse, they are not trashed, and that they are implemented on time and that they are robustly managed. And that cannot be just simply left in the hands of government. They cannot do it. So it needs to be left in the hands of, of an interventionist uh, 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 institutions or new institutions set up with these various role players, including labor if need be, and to just make sure that they remain uh, workable, robust, and well implemented. Otherwise, we're wasting our time. I have so many questions. One would be that uh, you touched on it now and said somebody should watch big business. On the one hand, we are working with uh, the political party funding acts, Corruption Watch and My Vote Counts, and Outer had a conversation recently about this, that we should watch 
who gives money to political parties. Now, in this instance, the money won't go to political parties. It will be made available for work streams to help government. But government is still made up mostly of a ruling party that has proven itself to be very corrupt. So we should keep an eye on who does what for government and that it doesn't lead to extra tenders or lack of accountability on certain things. Am I correct? Yeah, absolutely. And you know, those amounts that are put into these business initiatives paid for by business are, are minuscule. And, uh, you know, we're talking about a 1.6 trillion rand budget. Um, and we're talking about efficiencies within government that need to be uh, implemented. And and you're quite right. You know, you've got to be very careful. I mean, government, government should be, and we've said this often, get out of the business of business because it's complex, it's agile, uh, you cannot compete. If SAA will forever be on the back foot trying to compete with an agile uh, private sector, as as will Danil on the on front of armaments manufacturing and competition around the world, and so on. And get out of the business of business, I say, and get into the business of protecting civil society from the abuse of business. So make sure that the competition commission uh, processes are well followed, make sure that there's no abusive labor practice and, and so forth. And if government is an enabler of business and makes sure that business behaves itself and conducts itself within our laws, then it would be a, a healthy symbiotic relationship that'll build the economy. And now what you have is business coming in to try and intervene in government processes, governments intervening in businesses' processes, and uh, and they and they sort of try and dance this comfortable dance without treading on each other's toes. Uh, to different tunes that are making it very difficult to be able to do this properly. And to do it properly, your know, business has to stand on government's toes when they get it wrong. They have to stand hard. They have to say, but you cannot do this because it's just wasting money. It's not in the best interests of this country. We want business to task government with this one focus. We always said it. Every decision that government makes, they must ask this first question, is what we're deciding on going to be in the best interest? Everything we do about this decision, is it in the best interest of the country, of the people? In other words, lowest cost, best return, delivery of service, and so on. Can business be the sole player when it comes to challenging government on that? I don't believe so, because they have proven themselves time and time again that they don't want to have those robust discussions. So what we're asking business is bring civil society into some of those discussions. Because even though we wear a civil society hat, it doesn't mean to say we don't understand the processes and what's best for, for citizens as well. And very often, very often businesses remiss and oversee those elements. And, uh, and there are a lot of business people that work in civil society. So we wear two hats. We wear a citizen's hat and a business hat, uh, and, and, and that's the easiest way to come and challenge a uh, government from. So we want business to start being more robust in their discussions, in their questioning of inefficient processes, and then their demands for efficient processes, and their demands for the controls of those. Uh, and that's where you start saying like, well, let's bring civil society, and maybe we should have civil society oversight on some of these institutions and boards and new processes and new institutions to be set up. And when we start getting there, we'll see some very interesting discussions. But if you leave civil society out, then uh, it might be a futile one-sided discussion that they're going to have to go back to the drawing board again in uh, a number of years' time. 
What is interesting and what creates some hope about this latest initiative is that it's not only money, but it's also skills. Because we see um, from things like uh, Pravin Gordon's answer to Parliament a few weeks ago, a few days ago, that skills are severely lacking. Um, government provided 233 billion rand in bailouts for state-owned enterprises, that is Denel. SA Airways, SABC in the last five years and only received one million rand in dividends. So mm. it's clear that they don't know about doing business. So I've got two questions. Will they now listen to big business or is this a PR exercise to make them look like they're listening because there's an election coming up next year? That's my one question. And the other question is why did big business wait until this very critical point because to me, it seems like we are at one of the lowest points ever in South Africa. We are, and we're in a very precarious position because if things go south from an international investment and trade perspective, uh, especially from our big trading partners in Europe and, 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 and the States, then uh, you know partial sanctions or sanctions and limitations on the AGOA-favored uh, uh, deals uh, are, are going to be detrimental to this country. So I want to get back to that point you made earlier. Business is going to throw in skills. I'm afraid the barking up the wrong tree here, we are losing skills every day. We are seeing people leaving this country, skilled doctors, skilled teachers, skilled nurses, engineers, and the list goes on. What business should be telling government to do is stop the brain drain because business is also short of its skills. It can't get skills. So it's now might be handing in a, a couple of hundred people to bring some skills into the conversation. But the real issue is the skills aren't going to be out there for business and for government to apply or employ um, to do the job of running this country. So let's deal with the underlying causes of, well, why are our skilled, uh, not only youth, uh, but our skilled uh, middle-aged and even retired people leaving this country when they could offer so much back and we could keep them employed. Let's stop the brain drain. That's a, that's a good discussion that business needs to have. And if they do the research, then government might have to start answering some other questions about, well, you know, is BE working, for instance? That's not a conversation I see happening here. And maybe big business is scared to go there because it might sound anti-transformation, but this is not about uh, being anti-transformation. It's about making sure that transformation policy works. So there's nothing wrong with broad-based black economic empowerment, but when it only enriches a handful of people and leaves the masses behind and does not promote uh, entrepreneurship and the inclusion of a broader sector of society, and it hasn't, and all the research shows that, why are they not having that tough discussion? Why are they not having the tough discussion on, Mr. President, your NHI bill is not going to work. And not because we don't want universal health care. It's because the way you've structured it, it'll give rise to catastrophic failure of the health system and even more medical specialists leaving the country. Is that what we want? And this is not us saying it. This is the research saying it. Business must have that tough discussion and say to the president, don't do that. Road accident fund, Mr. President, it's a disaster. You know, 20 years ago, the road accident fund was washing its own face, uh, covering all its costs of four to five billion rand a year. 
It is now at 50 billion rand a year and in billions behind, and it's just a total mess. Sure. We can fix the road accident fund tomorrow, but you've got to remove the people that are there. So, so here's the real nub of that question, uh, Ilza, is you can throw the skills in, but if they've got no oversight, in other words, no decision-making, you know, they don't take control of the problem, then I'm afraid you'll be throwing skills in to try and introduce systems and decision-making will be left to the people who are not fit for those decisions, to make those decisions, and we sit with the current status quo uh, forever and a day. It's about decision-making and ownership of the implementation of those plans that needs to happen along with the skills, not just throwing skills at the problem. This brings me back to my second question. Is this just a PR exercise from government, from the ruling party, to say, look, 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 we admit we made some mistakes, we are listening, and next year we will do better? Is this what it is, or should we expect a little bit of political will to actually make this work? I think this is placating business. This is a meeting to placate business. I can assure you that they're going to drag their feet I mean, we've been there, I've seen these workshops, and there's a lot of dialogue, and we should do this, and we should do that. And before you know it, a year and a half to two years has gone, and very little has taken place, really. I mean, talking about meaningful, that's why I talk about radical transformation of processes and systemic failures to bring about good governance, you know, good uh, home affairs systems, stopping the, uh, the delays, three, four days delays. I was speaking to somebody on the weekend about ships being just turning away from Durban Harbour and saying, we're going to Dar es Salaam, we're dropping off your cargo there, and we might bring it back in three weeks' time, but we cannot sit outside Durban port for uh, six, seven, eight, nine days waiting to get in. The gross inefficiencies in our ports, now I know that's one of the work streams in our rail system, but this has been going on for years now, and it's not difficult to fix. There has to be a political will. So if government is saying, that they have this political will now and they're going to talk to business, which they say they're doing now. I say, well, let's just watch the space because when you placate business, when you say to business, but hold on, guys, we are in talks. Stop castigating us. Channel this through Business for South Africa and business leadership. We're at talks. We're doing, we're going to fix all these things. Well, I'm not sure if that's going to happen at the speed that it should. So it could be an electioneering process, but I don't think the electorate uh, this is an issue that's going to excite the electorate. They've seen this all before. They want to see action. I'm not so sure we're going to see the necessary action at the speed that is required to stop the carnage, to stop the fallout. That's the real issue here. So I hope that the business people that are represented there, and, and I'm not seeing the hard-hitting people that need to be there, that are demanding of government and, and be very comfortable to speak up and say to government, I'm sorry, but you know, you say you're going to do this, but tomorrow, what are we doing? We'll give you the teams now, but once those processes are in, Mr. President, your departments can't run them anymore. We need to set up new institutions that have civil society, business, labor, and government there, not just government taking over the systems when we try and fix them. Now, you might ask the next question is people say, well, isn't that what NEDLAC's supposed to do? And my short answer to that is exactly. But why hasn't that worked? Because of the fear, the fear-mongering. And I've been there and we've seen it. Government bullies business when it doesn't get its way. And now government, business thinks it can go in and bully government into, into submission. 
Well, we've got to see this working properly. It's not about bullying. It's about listening with respect and taking tough decisions. And business doesn't know how to be tough on government. And that's why we say, bring civil society into some of those discussions, not because we, we're the only ones who can be tough with government, but because we know the process of holding government to accountable, which is very foreign to business. We understand how to put government into a position where it has to implement properly. And I think we can find a good relationship there. Uh, and, and we can play the bad cop when it comes to the tough work that business doesn't like to do, which is holding government to account. Wayne, next year's elections uh, can be a watershed for South Africa. Hopefully it will be. But what are you seeing in the country? I see a lot of anger on social media. I hear a lot of frustration from ordinary people, from civil society people, from um, business people, as was expressed in uh, some of the media around this meeting as well. What can and should we be doing in preparation for next year? And, and what are your hopes for next year? Well, good, good question, and it's a very open-ended one, but let me, let me try and answer it like this. Firstly, you know, when we talk about change next year, that's a very loaded question, and everybody's talking about the next elections are important. Well, why are they important? And they're only important because there's an opportunity for change. Change means out with a party, a ruling party that has had its time, 30 years, and it has messed this country up, messed it up completely. When I say that, of course, we got into a democracy that was so important for freedoms and that, but the freedom that we expected all our people to have is for less people to be in poverty today, is for more people to be educated at the highest level, to be able to take this country's competitiveness in, onto the world stage, is to have a healthcare system, is to have a, a beneficiary uh, schemes that benefit uh, uh, the youth and, 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 and the aged and so on. None of that has transpired. In fact, more people slip into poverty every day than out of, and it's not because of international pressures and conditions. It's our own doing. It's our own making. There are countries that are worse off than us, uh, that are firing on all four cylinders, overtaking us in Africa and in and, and, and the Middle East and in Asia, that are leaving us behind. Um, and when we get left behind, I'm talking about transformed industries like uh, electric vehicles, like energy, telecommunications, you get left behind. It's hard, hard to catch up. So we've got a chance for change. And when you ta start talking about change to the masses, to the people out there, there's a reluctance to, to go against a party that is supposedly uh, brought about uh, our, economic, uh, our freedom as a nation. And that's the conundrum, that's the difficulty and the challenge that we have to have those hard conversations. Change doesn't mean that there are no social grants next year. Change doesn't mean that there's no free education and, and uh, university education and so on. Change means change in government because we, there's more than enough money and we have got more than enough diversity, resources, tourism all the opportunities to be one of the most dynamic countries in the world. And that vision cannot be unlocked by a political party that has taken us south that needs to be challenged. And that's where we come full circle to business needs to tackle and challenge head on these bad decisions and bad policy decisions and bad geopolitical decisions that our government is taking for reasons that 
very few understand when you hear some of the discussions taking place. You ask yourself, but on what? What is the reason for that? We understand we're sovereign. We understand we can freely trade with China and Russia and, and any country in the world. But it's not about that. It's about the political decisions that are taken that alienate us from the rest of the world. So next year is a big opportunity. The question is, how will this country seize it? And the next part of that question is, what is it? It, it now becomes up to civil society, that's you and I, to start introducing interventions. Because one thing that's not on that list that business and government are having is the uncomfortable decision of local government. Local government are left to flounder with people. Look at our mayor in Joburg. Joburg is a 65 billion rand budget annually. And you have executive mayors that wouldn't qualify to run a kindergarten, I'm afraid to say. Seriously. Uh, so what are we doing? So the politicians are just playing games and, 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 and politicking. And we have to sit and pay increases in our rates and taxes and more for services that's, that government isn't delivering. And the, the citizens and the residents and the businesses in these towns and cities are saying, no, thank you. And it's not as if you have to reinvent the wheel and go out there and get international help or business help in fixing local government. All they have to do is look, where are our municipalities working? Why are they working? And where are we failing and why are we failing? And I'll give you a nice discussion, a quick anecdote. The mayor of Saldana, which won the best uh, in Ratings Africa, best run city with Midval. Both run not by white people. Okay, so it's important because this is not a race issue that I raised that. And everybody says, yeah, but now you're bringing a race into them. Not. The, the mayor of Saldana, uh, I forget his surname, Truta, I think, said to Kosozana Lamini Zuma at, mm. at a recent um, Lakhotla they had in November last year on local government. He said to her, I will come if you allow me and, sh and, and give me your worst run municipalities, your problematic ones, and I will bring a team and we will come and help them turn their town around. Because we are, we've got everything jacked up in our town. We are here to help. We'll bring our team in and, 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 and help you fix some of these towns. And she said, will you? Would you really do that? And she said, of course. This is not about politics. It's not about a DA-run municipality coming. This is about the residents of your towns and cities. We'll come and help you. And she said, well, that's great. Let's have this conversation sooner. And he said, I'll come on one condition. In fact, two conditions, uh, uh, Madam Minister. The one first condition is that we're given the powers to, to fix the town. You know, we will make the decisions then. And the second thing is we will lay charges and arrest people who are involved in corruption. And, and he never heard from her after that. She never took up the opportunity. That's the problem that we have here. Now, if business can have those tough discussions, and let's remove politics and say to government, if you want to be competent, we can't, we're not going to throw skills. We need to throw management of the processes into that, into that uh, um, formula. And we need to own, uh, throw in the ownership of those processes going forward. So they cannot be hijacked again by inefficient uh, catered deployment uh, appointments. And if that hard conversation takes place, then I think we'll get somewhere. But if it doesn't, we'll, we'll be sitting here with another business government lachotla in, 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 in two years uh, with another uh, attempt to try and uh, dig us out of an even deeper hole.
And so says Wayne Duvernay, she's the CEO of Outer. And you've listened to Outer Insights, uh, that's our podcast. If you like Outer's work, please go and have a look at the website at outer.co.za and please help fund us because we only exist because of public donations. And also, if you like the podcast, please tell your friends about this. Wayne, thank you very much for your time. Thanks, Ilda. All the best. 